G'day everyone. Great to see you all. Wasn't it a great image uh, Natani gave us of saying grace for the real food that counts? Uh, I don't have a cultural reason for my love of food, Natani, but um, <laughs> I come from sort of the north of England and Scotland and Ireland. But anyway, I love food too. Uh, but uh, it was sort of a ch- I took there as a challenge that I should uh, read the scriptures as often as I eat which is more of a challenge for me than you, I think. But anyway, uh, than most of you, anyway. But uh, Jesus quotes the Old Testament, doesn't he, when he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of our Lord. So let's pray and thank God for his word. And then we're going to start looking at this wonderful letter of Ephesians. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us a real hunger and thirst for your word. Uh, We pray that we would truly desire to live by it. And so, Father, tonight we pray that you will open our eyes to understand it correctly, but more than that, you will convict us of its truth and uh, help us to truly believe the wonderful promises we're going to read about in it tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this age of uh, text messages and uh, emails and now Facebook and social media and all those sort of things... Uh, there's something special about getting a letter in the mail. At least I think that. Other people like getting a letter in the mail, especially if it's handwritten. Most of the mail I get is actually addressed to our church treasurer, uh, and it's all the church bank account and all that sort of thing. That's not very exciting. When you go out to the letterbox and there is a letter and it's got your name written, and someone's actually taken the time to write it in pen on there, there's something exciting about that. My uh, office is at the front of our house, and so where I sit and do most of my work, there's big windows, and I see the postman right up the other side of the street, and my heart goes, oh, the postman's coming. Because I know in a couple of minutes he's going to come down, and there he'll be, and I'll be waiting for him. I'm like a two-year-old sort of thing. (laughs) Except now we have a dog, it just sort of barks continuously. It's a bit embarrassing with me and the postman. But anyway, uh, my kids get quite annoyed at me because they get home from school, and I've already collected the mail every day. And so, they, so now Sophie has a thing where if she's got mail and she finds it on the kitchen table, she marches it out to the post box, puts it in the letterbox, then comes inside and then goes out and says, oh, look, I've got something in the... Because <laughs> everyone loves getting a letter. Well, imagine how the people in the early church felt when they received a letter from one of the apostles, from Peter or from Paul, like this one. Imagine how exciting that would have been in their world. And it would have been more exciting for them than for us because you've got to remember when they met the early church so we're talking in uh, 50 or 60 AD they didn't have the New Testament like we have so when they got together at church they do a lot of things like we did not with microphones and all that sort of stuff but very similar in the sense that they would sing together probably psalms from the Old Testament they would pray together they would encourage one another but then when they read their Bibles, the, the Bible they had was the Old Testament. So they would read the Old Testament and then someone would give a talk explaining how that points forward to Jesus and how that's fulfilled by Christ. Uh, and then they might have had uh, maybe one of the Gospels, maybe the Gospel of Mark, but they didn't have the New Testament like we had because they were still getting it written for them in things like this, the letter to the Ephesians. So you can imagine their excitement when the Apostle Paul, who had spent a couple of years with them, setting them up as a church and and teaching them the gospel, you can imagine their excitement when here comes a letter from Paul written to us. Now, we're in a different situation. We can open our Bibles and read them every day. 
which in a way sort of makes us negligent about just how wonderful the Bible is, I think. See, what that means is we take it for granted and so we just sort of see it sitting over there and we don't think, that's wonderful, God's Word, just there, we just see it as a book that sits closed on our table. But for them, here comes this letter written by the Apostle Paul. They would have been so excited. So as we look at Ephesians together, this term, both in our Gospel teams during the week and here on Sundays, my hope is that you will have some of that excitement in you as we look at this part of God's Word together. Because you can just, now as we look at it, if you just come with me to the first couple of verses, you can just sort of be tempted to jump over the opening two verses. But I want us actually to look at them closely uh, because the opening tells us why we should be so excited to be reading this book. So come with me, look at verse 1. This is who is writing to us. It is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. So that is Paul's credentials. And he's saying... I have been sent, that's what an apostle means, someone who is sent with authority. I have been sent to speak on behalf of Jesus. This is not just an ordinary person talking to us, this is someone sent on behalf of Jesus. And more than that, he says, it is by God's will. God is behind Paul and what he has to say. Which means for us, we have to drop everything. And listen to everything that he has to say here to us. This isn't one man's personal opinion about God. This is not sort of him saying, here's, here's a few thoughts I've got, take them or leave them. But Paul is saying, no, no, what I am writing to you comes on behalf of Jesus by God's will. Which immediately means we have to say, well, hang on, I better listen and do what it says. That's who writes the letter. Now, who is he writing to? Look there. It says, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. And that word saint has been taken and abused over the last couple of thousand years to mean sort of extra special holy people, people who someone in Rome has decided did a miracle and, and all that sort of thing. But no, the Bible says anyone who trusts in Jesus is a saint. So down here in the front row tonight, we have Saint Kelly sitting there. Now turn to the person next to you, I want you to do this now, turn to the person next to you and say to them, welcome saint and their name because they are a saint and if you don't know their name it's an opportunity to introduce yourself See, you're overcome with the fact you're looking for each other to do miracles now but you see we have to understand this a saint is someone who has been made holy that's what it means who has been set apart and so if you trust in Jesus you are a saint uh, not because the Pope says so that's just a lot of nonsense don't worry about that sort of rubbish no, no no you are a saint because you have faith in Jesus he has made you holy he has set you apart so this letter was originally to the faithful saints in Ephesus but now we read it obviously for us as the faithful saints here at St George North tonight and when it says the faithful saints again people read that and go oh so it's to the Everyone's saints, but it's to the particularly faithful ones. No, no, no. You're a saint if you are faithful. If you are someone who has faith in Jesus, that's how you are made holy. So this letter is to us. And then look at the greeting he gives them. He says, and what more Christian greeting can you give a fellow saint than to offer them grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? I said, Christians, we're funny, modern Christians. Sometimes we sort of get all bashful about using Christian language. And so Christians walk up to one another, Australian Christians, anyway, g'day mate, you know. You should be saying grace to you, Brayden, and peace to you, 
Naomi. You, you, you know, that is, we, we have something to offer one another when we greet one another that is far above what our world can offer. What is grace? When we say grace, you are talking about God's favour, unearned. God's free gift of God's favour. And peace, peace with God that only comes through knowing Christ and then peace with one another because we have had our differences dissolved because we are one people in Christ Jesus. And those are the themes that Paul is going to focus on for the rest of this letter and we're going to see over the next term. So there's the opening to the letter uh, and that's meant to get us ready to be excited to what what he says next. So with that in mind, let's get into the letter proper. And today we're looking at just one sentence. That's all, just one sentence. But it's a sentence that goes for 12 verses. So our English translations don't think we can handle that. They think we modern people have a short attention span. I don't know where they get that idea from. But anyway, uh, so they break it all up into lots of little sentences for us. But in the original language, it was just one sentence from verse 3 through to verse 14. Poor Troy, there he is up the back. Troy, sorry to... I always point out Troy, but anyway, he's been recovering from his throat surgery and he has had some good news. Is that right, Troy's nodding, which is wonderful. His voice still has to recover, but the surgery has been a success, which is wonderful. And so now he's just recovering. But I'm a bit worried because I think when he's fully healed, suddenly two months of everything he has wanted to say to us is just going to vomit out of his mouth. And so I've sort of been looking for the week his first sermon is on and making sure I'm on holidays on that because <laughs> I think it's going to go for two hours when he can finally talk again. But uh, no, but that's what Paul's like here. He's, I'm so excited about what I'm telling you, I just can't pause and take a breath. It's just this one sentence where it just sort of keeps coming out, this exciting news I've got to share. And I think that is because he is attempting to describe for us something that is indescribable. He is describing for us the indescribable wonder of just how wonderful it is that God has blessed us in so many ways. And the heading, if you like, the summary is there in verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Now we could just have a whole sermon on that verse if we wanted to, and I was tempted to. He's saying through Jesus in Christ, God has given you and me every spiritual blessing. If you have everything, what do you lack? That's not meant to be a trick question. It's meant to be one where there's this resounding answer from the floor. If you have nothing, that's right. People felt bashful about saying nothing. But if you have everything, you lack nothing. Isn't that right? He is saying, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, you don't need anything else. You have everything. Notice, though, God doesn't promise us earthly blessings, like wealth and, and, and health and all these other things, because in the end, those things don't matter for eternity, and they won't last in the end. Some Christians will be wealthier than others here on earth. In our church, there'll be some Christians who have more money than other Christians. That's just the way it is. But when it comes to eternity... When it comes to what really matters, heavenly, spiritual blessings, every Christian is a billionaire. Every Christian lacks nothing at all. The only thing Christians often lack is an understanding of the fact that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's the only thing we often lack. If you are in Christ, if you trust in Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing blessing 
And so the rest of the passage, the rest of the sentence, is the apostle just sort of downloading what those wonderful spiritual blessings are. Now I've put them as headings on your outline, so have a look there with me as well as at the Bible passage, and we're going to look at each in turn. And the first blessing is what we call the blessing of election. So let's look from verse 4. It says, For he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, if that does not blow your mind, you must have switched off and you weren't listening as I read it out, so I'll have to read it out for you again, or you haven't heard it right. Look at it again. It says, For he, that is God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Do you understand what that's saying? God did not see you here living wherever you live. God did not see you and say, Do you know what? I think I might have mercy on that one and decide to save that person before you were born actually before anyone was born before he said let there be light before genesis 1 god had you in mind god said i am choosing this one i'm going to create them and despite the fact they won't deserve it despite the fact that they'll sin and they'll reject me despite that i'm going to choose them i'm going to choose to make them holy and blameless But he chose more than that. God said, I am also going to choose to love that one as my child. Look at the end of verse 4 there. It says, in love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favour and will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he favoured us with in the beloved. See, God didn't just choose to forgive us and make us holy in his sight. God chose to love us as a father. To adopt us as his children. I think the greatest example of human love you can find is adoption. I think it is the greatest example of human love we can have in our world. It is the one time where a human being says, I am going to go and I'm going to choose to love this person as my own, even though they are not related to me, even though I don't get anything in return, it's I am going to love them just out of my choice to love them. It's why I find it so wonderful with the fact that you see Christians adopting children. It's Christians who lead the way in adopting children because Christians understand this. And if that's the most wonderful expression of human love that we can see, how much more amazing even than that is our adoption as God's children. Even though we are not naturally his, in fact the opposite, the Bible says by nature we are objects of wrath, By nature, we are God's enemies. We've made it that way, not him. But even so, God adopts us as his children. And God gives us all the privileges of being his child. So you can call the God of the universe your father. You can approach the God of the universe without fearing his condemnation, but knowing he will listen to your prayers. He gives you an equal share in the inheritance of, You see that down at verse 11. God has sort of written you into his will, given you a place in his household, in his new creation, in the heavens. I hope you can start to see why Paul just sort of can't stop praising God. But now that leads us into the next blessing that Paul can't keep to himself, and that is the blessing of redemption and forgiveness. For us to be God's children, God has to deal with the problem of our sin. And that's what verse 7 focuses on. So look there. It says, we have redemption in him through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. See, we are not naturally God's children. We're naturally slaves to sin. But God has set us free. That's what the word redeemed means. In the ancient world, you redeemed a slave by buying them back from their owner. That's the way it was. So if someone was a slave, the only way to set them free was to pay the price for them to their owner. Well, God has paid the price to set us free. And the price was the blood of his son, the blood of Jesus. Jesus took the punishment we deserved to pay the price for our sin and so all of our sin all of our trespasses as it gets called here past present and future it has all been forgiven as far as the east is from the west that is how far God has removed our sin from us that is what God has done for you through the death of Jesus but then there's even more sorry if that sounded a little bit like the guy on the television commercials but you know I'm not telling you there's steak knives on top of the steam mop or something like that uh, Because here the even more is not some extra little trinket, it's something again wonderful. And here the more that God has done is, God has revealed to us his plans for all eternity. Just come with me to verse 9. And these verses I think are mind-blowing. It says, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will. It's a mystery in the sense that you wouldn't have worked it out if God hadn't told you. But God has made it known to us. And what has God made known to us? He's made known to us what he is going to do at the end of time. He's made known to us what he is going to do at the end of all creation. His final plan. And here is the plan. It's there at the end of verse 10. It's to bring everything together in the Messiah. Both things in heaven and things on earth in him. See, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that at the moment... Jesus is the king, but most people don't realise it. At the moment, God is God and he's in control and Jesus is the king, but not everyone submits to him. And on earth, people still ignore Jesus. People still sin. Our world is still broken. In the heavens, as much as this idea sort of freaks us out because we don't like thinking about this sort of stuff, there are angels who serve God in the heavens, but there are also demons. And the devil is real and he lives to tempt and work against us but God has revealed to us that it will not always be like that God's plan that can never be thwarted God's unstoppable plan is not just to choose and adopt and redeem and forgive a small group the church who will be buffeted and assaulted on all sides by sin and the devil in this broken world God has decided and set in place a plan where eventually everything will be under Christ and under his lordship you see this is talking about the judgment day the coming of the new creation and on that day once and for all those who reject jesus both in the heavens and on earth will be judged forever and then all sin and all pain and all suffering and all brokenness will be swept away and there will be a new creation where everything and everyone will honor jesus as the king that is what we have to look forward to And God has revealed that to us. And so the point of all this is, he's saying, this is the every spiritual blessing you have in Christ Jesus. God has chosen you. God has adopted you. God has redeemed you. God has forgiven you. And 
God has let you know what the future holds, that one day God will include you in that wonderful new creation. That is what we praise God for. That is what you have if you are in Christ Jesus. But that then leaves two final questions that our passage wants us to deal with. And come with me again on your outline, you can see them there. The first question is how? How do we receive these blessings? How do you receive every spiritual blessing? And then the second question is why? Why does God give all of this to us? So we're going to start with the how. Jump down to verse 13. It says, When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him. How does a person receive every spiritual blessing? By hearing the message of the truth, the message about Jesus, and then by believing, believing in him. And that's what makes these blessings even more incredible. If you think about it, this is why Paul couldn't stop praising God and he couldn't stop and find a full stop. We receive every spiritual blessing not because of anything we do, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but simply because we believe in Christ. That is how you receive every spiritual blessing. That's why it's all about grace. That's why we talk about grace all the time. It is a free gift. And having believed, doesn't stop there, God then gives us yet another blessing. Just look at verse 13 again. It says, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. See, when you believe in Jesus, I don't know when that happened for you, there might be people here who do not yet trust in Jesus, and I pray you do very, very soon. But for the rest of us, when you believed in Jesus, you received every spiritual blessing in Christ. But we have this tension, don't we? And it's that tension back there in verse 3 that it's in the heavens and we're not in heaven yet. So in one sense, we say, I have everything now, I lack nothing. But in another sense, we're waiting for the culmination of it all. We're waiting for the full experience of it. It's not until Christ returns that that tension will be gone. But what God does for us is... He says, I am guaranteeing it for you. I'm guaranteeing your inheritance. He says, you have every spiritual blessing and I guarantee that you will never lose those blessings. And that guarantee is his Holy Spirit, which he puts inside us. When you believed in Jesus, you didn't realize this was happening, but someone moved in and it was God. When you believed in Jesus, God's Holy Spirit came and dwelled in you and he still does. And now the Holy Spirit does lots of things, but here he stresses two in particular. First of all, see it there, he is a seal. Not in the sense of something you go to the zoo to see. It's a seal in old sort of language, in olden days. You know what a seal was? You still sometimes see it on legal documents. That's the thing. It was an important person's mark. Closest thing I can think of, though it's not really relevant to any of us because the closest we've ever got to a farm is Taronga Zoo, most of us. But when a farmer brands his cattle, you know how they do that? You've seen it on TV. When he brands his cattle, that's a mark saying, that cow is mine. It's not yours. You can't steal it. Well, that is the Holy Spirit on you. It's God saying, that one is mine. I've bought her. I've redeemed her. I've forgiven him. That one is mine. We're more familiar with the second thing it says about the Holy Spirit. It says he is God's down payment on us. God's deposit on us. We're familiar with this because you just walk out of our streets and you'll see a real estate sign there saying that this house is for sale. But then they put a sticker across it. What does the sticker say? It says, deposit taken. 
And you say, oh, well, there's no use going looking at that house now. There was never any use because it was going to be $2.8 million anyway. But, <laughs> but, but if you had $2.8 million, there's still no use looking at it because someone has put a deposit on it. Well, the Holy Spirit is God's deposit-taken sticker on you. It's God saying, this one is mine. I've paid the price. So how do you receive every spiritual blessing in Christ? And I'm saying this not just for the benefit of those who have already received it, but for people here who perhaps have not. How do you receive it? By believing in Christ through faith and through the work of God by his Holy Spirit coming into you. But there's one final question that this passage raises and covers for us, and it's the question of why. Now, if you don't ask the question why, you need to go home tonight and listen to all that I've already said again. You've got to listen to the podcast all again. You're going, oh, no, I was struggling through the first part, but now I'm going to do it. But if you don't ask the question of why, then you haven't understood this. You see, if you think, well, of course God should choose me. You know, I deserve it. You, you don't get it. If you don't say, why on earth would the God of the universe choose to adopt me as his child? Why on earth would the God of the universe choose to send his son to die? If you, if you don't ask that question, you haven't understood it. You see, why would God do it? It has nothing to do with us. It's despite us. Now, this passage gives us two answers why God has done all this for us. The first is there at the end of verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4 and the start of verse 5. It says, in love he predestined us. In love he adopted us. There's the reason. Not because of us, but because God just decided to love you. That's why. God decided in himself to love us and just think about this for a moment most human love depends on the one you are loving just think about every song you've ever heard on today fm or whatever station you listen to now i don't know i listen to 702 i've discovered i'm very old now but anyway most human love and every song says i love you because you make my heart go boom or you know i i'm not going to sing it for you you know i could write pop songs i'm really good I, i love you because of how you make me feel you know God's love is different. God decided to love you before you even existed and then God decided to keep loving you despite everything about me and you. You see, God created us so that he could love us. And even more amazing, once he created us and we sinned, God kept loving us despite us. And so in many ways, this is the greatest blessing of all. God loves us not because of anything about us, but just because of who he is, because of his sovereign choice. Which drives us to the final answer to that question of why and the final thing we'll look at tonight. Why did God do all this for us? And again, you see this all through the passage. God does these things not for our sake in the end, but for his glory. Just look back with me through the passage again. Look there at verse 6. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then at verse 12, so that we might bring praise to his glory. And verse 14, to the praise of his glory. See, it is amazing that we receive these spiritual blessings in Christ. We should never stop giving thanks to God. But we mustn't then think it's because of something about us. We mustn't fall into the trap of thinking we are the centre of God's universe. God blesses us in this way so that we will give Christ all the glory and all the praise that he deserves. And God blesses us in this way so that we will give God our Father 
all the praise and all the glory he deserves. See, this passage actually gives you the reason God created you and the reason God redeemed you, the reason you exist. And the reason is so that you might praise him. That's why. That's why we live. So that we might live our whole lives for his glory. And we're going to do that right now. We're going to stand and sing his praises. I stand amazed. So let's stand and sing together.